DSO Connect podcast. I am Casey, and today I have with me the wonderful Ami Dowden-Font. Hello, Miss Ami. Hello. How are you today? Doing well. You? I'm doing good. It's so good to see you. Ami and I go way back. We went to college together. You graduated from VCU a year before me, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We, we have a history, and I think in our journey of you taught for me at my studio and then started your own studio and mm-hmm. then going from being classmates to being employer employee to being like colleagues and business owners I feel like our relationship has really grown and evolved into something really quite wonderful yeah yeah it's awesome so let me read your bio so our listeners get to know you Ami Dowden Font was born in Richmond Virginia and started her exploration of dance at the tender age of four Ami trained in many dance styles, including ballet, jazz, and modern. She pursued her BFA in dance and choreography at Virginia Commonwealth University. There, she had the opportunity to study with numerous artists, such as Jowle Willa Joe Zolar, New York City, Tanya Isaac, Pennsylvania, Daniel Gortzman, New York City, Robert Battle, New York City, and many others. Ami has been awarded numerous recognitions, including Outstanding Choreographer and Performer Award at VCU. Her choreography has been presented in the National American College Dance Festival Gala in New York and Philadelphia Fringe Festival in PA. Ami Dowden danced professionally with Liz Lerman and the Dance Exchange out of Washington, D.C., and traveled across the U.S. performing and mentoring aspiring artists of all ages. Ami has taught classes and workshops at Wesleyan University, Department of Education in Washington, D.C., and at Arizona State. Ami was commissioned to choreograph for the William Penn School District in Pennsylvania, Neighborhood Playhouse of New York City, and the Center of the Arts in Henrico County, Virginia. Ami is instilled with the gift to educate and provide young, aspiring artists with a well-rounded dance education. Ami is enjoying her life as the artistic director and owner of River City Dance and Performing Arts Theater, watching the growth of her students along the East Coast. So welcome, Ami. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to finally have you on. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a while. So thank you so much for coming on and, and having this conversation with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So let's start from the beginning. Tell us about your dance journey, what your studio was like growing up, um, what kind of captured your heart and soul about dance, and then how you became a studio owner. Um, well, so far as my dance journey, it's always it's always been a little bit of a roller coaster. <laughs> I started um, when I was a very young, four years old, and I remember because... Um, I don't remember this part of being four, but the um, <laughs> studio owner at the time, she was like, you were the worst student. You cried the entire class, oh my every gosh. class. Oh my gosh. And the teacher would just walk with me around the room while I cried. Oh. Every single- Could you imagine having a student that just cried and they needed their assistant that's supposed yeah. to be helping the class just oh, walk? Oh, I have away. absolutely had that child in class. <laughs> like a couple a couple weeks and then they've gradually like got yeah. ahead and but I did it every class for the entire year oh my god the whole year 
the whole year. Ooh, bless that teacher's heart. <laughs> exactly. And then, but then they were like, you know, I came back and then I was the, like the star, like people like so behave and smiling and practicing and loving it all. That's amazing. So as you were crying and walking around the room, you were really absorbing a lot. I had to have been. Clearly something. <laughs> I had to have been, but um, yeah, so from that moment um, at that studio, like I just, I took ballet starting off and then I gradually migrated to tap. And then for some reason, something came out and I don't know, my mother was like, well, they said you don't have feet, so you're not going to ever be a dancer. So I quit. Isn't that tragic? God. Right. So. And how I, old were you when that happened? I had to have been like 10 or 11 because I remember I had left there and went to Richmond Ballet. Uh-huh. And I danced at Richmond Ballet for one or two years, but it just got too much for my family financially. Yeah. Like my grandparents paid for dance, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, my grandparents paid for dance, but they were... They were just like, it's, it's just too much. You know, yeah. but I got to dance in a Nutcracker, so that yes. was, like, super exciting. Um, for our listeners, the Richmond Ballet is the state ballet company of Virginia, and they also have a school associated with them. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, the conservatory-esque, you know, very prestigious ballet program in Richmond. Right. Yeah, like, ABT or New York City Ballet is for New York City. Right. Um, so I had went back to no maybe I was a little bit younger I had to have been like eight or nine so then I went back to the studio I was before Mm -hmm. and I danced there for I would say the finishing out of my middle school years and then I auditioned for Center for the Arts and I got into Center for the Arts which is a high school arts which is a high school program I had academic classes at my home school that I would go in the beginning of the day And during lunch, I would go bus over to my magnet school, have dance class, and then have one academic class. And what was the focus of that program? Was that like a ballet focus, a modern focus? Well, it was, and that was a wonderful thing about that program because every week we had something, every day of the week, it was something different. So like on Mondays would be ballet, Tuesdays would be jazz, Wednesdays might be hip hop, Thursdays is like dance history, kinesiology, anatomy, and then Fridays we might have a guest artist or work on improvisation, choreography, something. Oh, cool. So it always rotated. We got a lot of different styles. We got a lot of exposure. I felt like I got a lot of different types of exposure. And was it a lot of different teachers as well? No, it wasn't. It was only three, but they still brought in people as guest artists. But it was only about three at the time, a full-time teacher and two part-time. Mm-hmm. And I loved that experience. I loved going through there and um, just being a student and like dancing, you know. I was like, yeah, I'm going to dance. <laughs> and um, were you still dancing at your studio while you were at the high school or you were just at the, at the high school? Yeah, I had, I had stopped. And this was a little bit of a break. Um, because I had left the studio maybe like a year or two prior because I wasn't really sure if I wanted to dance again. 
and my mom and had asked me to do like this multicultural event for her job and some people have asked me to dance for a couple of other things and then I just came to the the terms and just surrendered mm -hmm. and I was like you keep stopping <laughs> but then you keep finding yourself in ways it keeps calling it keeps calling you back you call it keeps calling you back yeah. so yeah. dance must be meant for you to do right so I, I i said whatever so i surrendered in that and then i auditioned for the center for the arts and got in while i was there i met a young lady who also introduced me to this ballet company a very small ballet company in the northern countryside of Virginia and I, I was like okay sure she's like yeah I think you would it would be good that experience was probably one of the hardest experiences really yeah um it was one of those places where all the parents are very involved mm -hmm. my mom's a single mother she worked a full-time job she my, my grandparents on both sides were very active. When it came to my um, dancing, mm -hmm. my grandparents on my dad's side were, like, super active. Like, they made sure that I was there. I got picked up. Um, whatever bill was paid, whatever shoes, they made sure that everything that I needed that was revolving dance, I had it. Yeah. Like, I love those grandparents. I've got a few of those grandparents at my studio and I just adore them. <laughs> yes, they are awesome. I love those grandparents too. It was really nice that I had just people that were rooting for me to continue. Yeah. Because it wasn't really ideal so far as my mom's budget. So they saw that it was important. I was like really happy that they could see that it was important to me. So right. that's why they were willing to continue. But... At this place, the moms made the costumes. Oh my gosh. The dads made the props. Mm -hmm. And when I came in there, my mama wasn't making nobody's costume. <laughs> and my daddy won't build a nobody's prop. Yeah. And I had- and How old were you when you were in this ballet company? I want to say I transitioned like ninth grade year. Okay. And I had to work for every single thing. And I don't know what, I could have been just that rusty, <laughs> which I don't really feel like it was always that. But I noticed that the girls, that their moms were always there. They got really good parts. Mm. And this was a ballet company. So every year, the Nutcracker, then you would have in the spring, you would do like Giselle or Cinderella, some type of other ballet. And then in the summer, it'll be a little bit more contemporary mm -hmm. of what types of ballets and selections. There might be a modern piece or something. Ooh. Well, yeah, exactly. Whoa. <laughs> once, once a year. Wow. <laughs> um, Bare feet? My God. Oh, but we didn't even do it. We still did it in ballet strip. So. <laughs> <laughs> but every, I danced with them three years. And it wasn't until the last year that I danced with them where I got a part that wasn't a typical, like I got Columbine mm. that last year. And I definitely got some side eyes for actually getting that part. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like I did, I did Spanish, 
because like everyone did flowers and snow. Everyone did this. Like you're doing the chorus parts. But then the first year I was a parent. And then I had Spanish, which everyone, and they said every girl is a Spanish girl first year. So you're not getting anything else. Every girl is. Second year, I got Harley Quinn and Trey Pat. And I really want it to be the Arabian. Don't we all? Don't we all? (laughs) Feel like Arabian and Snow Queen. Everybody wants to be Arabian. I know. And I, and the thing is, is like, when I was a kid, I really busted my ass. Like I was on there, I was doing my bridges and my like roll-ups and my arms and like really Ah. practicing. And it was just like down to the wire. And they're like, no. You're, you're going to get B tray pack. Cool. All right. Do that. That third year tray pack again. But then I got Columbine and I was like, I'm doing something. It's like an actual soloist part. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like it's, you know, maybe like a minute, but <laughs> it's, solo. it's a solo part and it really pushed me. And then the summer gala, I got um, I don't re- y'all even remember what this tag on ballet was called, but I got the solo in that ballet, and that piece was like three or four minutes. Oh, nice! Like, like a a legit solo, and the oh man, the heads rolled when that happened too. Really? But like, I had to push. like parents were upset, or that your classmate, your your fellow dancer, Ever, were upset? like not like not everybody was upset, but I remember being in the sitting room and trying on a costume and this wasn't the nicest person that you can dance for like you would call the girls elephants as they would dance across the room yeah like yelling and screaming at the top of his lungs Mm -hmm. not a particularly nurturing environment no not (laughs) not at all no way jose no not nurturing no love there it was hard and that stress affected everybody and some of us knit it together in a way Mm -hmm. and then some of us kind of like sided like we're pleasers to Mm -hmm. him but i remember getting set it for a costume and being tussled you know like when you're you'll wiggle a little bit to get a costume Mm -hmm. but like being physically tussled Mm. did it feel like violating or violent like it felt like it felt violent. It was definitely, you know, the whispers of And do you think all of this was because of race or just because you were a new person in the group or what was what like what it was, was because of hatred. Ooh. And were you like the only black kid there? I was. So when I when I was introduced in the company by a black girl mm-hmm. and then she left. And then another one came and then left. And then I was still the only one there. Right. And it wasn't, as we're talking about racism, racism lies so deep in you, things that you might be doing that are racist that you don't even realize it's a racist action. Right. And me growing up in a world where I see it, I've, I've, endured it as a younger age i know it exists certain things you just kind of always accept it because that's how they'll always act Mm. yeah 
And at that particular company, the seizures or whatever, she was really nice to me. And it bothered a couple of the other moms. And, you know, like, what, what, I don't understand what is there not to be nice at this, you know, this child who no one really knows anything. Like, why are you upset with her? Like, she wants to dance. She pays, I pay fees to dance here. So what problem do you have with her? Right. I, done nothing to no one don't know anyone to do anything to (laughs) you know um I always like I've always been I keep to myself initially type of person feel things out that's just how I am I've always been that way so this child who just wants to dance what is wrong with her what does she do where you have to whisper about her or talk about her and just be very short and mean towards what is what is that about? Why? I'm so sorry. That's terrible. What kind it, what kind of rumors or what were people saying? It was just like simple things like I don't know why she has this part. I don't know what she got to deserve this part. Um she's not that, that great at it. Mm. She's not good enough. Yeah, just like just constantly belittling the efforts. Right. Or the growth that was made for me to even like get that part or be considered for a part. And was that mostly your fellow dancers who were saying these things? No, the parents. The parents. And that makes it even worse. Why would you say that about a child? Yeah, why would you say that about a child? My God. (laughs) And the thing is, is that this was a room. It was like a, um, a warehouse type of situation. They would be upstairs, but you could still hear them. So I'm sure the teachers and the directors or whoever is in charge there also could hear it. Do you think they knew what was going on? I'm sure. I'm not. I'm sure. And the the fact that they didn't do anything about it. Right. it, That's heartbreaking. But that's the thing. Like, no one ever does anything about it. Right. That's the thing. You don't ever, no one ever steps in to do anything about it. You always just walk around walk by you act like you don't see it but that experience really pushed me to want to be better so it doesn't matter what I look like it doesn't matter like you can't deny me of this part because I am too good to be denied yeah to prove them wrong and to prove yes yes to prove them wrong it was always about that but I didn't finish my senior year because I wanted to I was ready to let that go. I was ready to focus on my senior year. Mm-hmm. And that point of like proving people wrong when I initially applied for VCU, I didn't get into VCU. Really? Really. Like I didn't get into this program. I didn't get into the school. And my mom had applied me to another school that didn't have a dance program. And I worked my butt off. And one of my teachers at, at the Center for the Arts would just go back and try again. So I did, and I got into the dance program, and I got into the school the second round because I knew that I belong here. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to let anybody tell me, nope, like, this is what I want. Good for um, you. Thank you. Yeah, but it, it takes a lot to push back to, like, people who are, like, so your mentors for something that you want. But um, when you're in a world of a bunch of no's, mm. But you just need one yes. Yeah. All you <laughs> need is one. that one yes. Just one yes. But I was happy because I felt like I went to a school that was meant for me. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like that was where I needed to be. 
I really worked hard to make sure that I was in and I got out and graduated because I pushed so hard for this and everyone has made sacrifices for me to be able to go to school here. Um, I need to make sure that I finish. And I did that. I, I finished and when that, after that, I moved to Philadelphia and started dancing for Dance Theater X mm -hmm. and then just teaching, freelance teaching. And you did some burlesque work as well, right? I did that, yeah. I did that for, for a while. Yeah. And then when I, when I was going to have my daughter, I moved back here and I never really worked in this city. Really? No. Like I, I had like a little teaching gig in college. Mm -hmm. But like not as in dance. Like I worked in the restaurants. Yeah, sure. like sure. I yeah. was doing hospitality for like ten years. Like I had that locked down. But um, so far it's just like teaching. When I came back to Virginia, it was about who you know. And mm -hmm. when it came to Philly, they had all of these different resources that you can go and look up online and apply for jobs. It made it so simple and easy. But here, it's all about who you know. Right. And I didn't know who was still here. Yeah, because this was now how long after you had graduated? I moved back here. I graduated in 2008. I moved back here in 2012. So it was like four years, four yeah. years later. Yeah, and I feel like the dance scene, you know, there's some staples who are always around, but the dance scene kind of changes so much in the time. Right, yeah. So I didn't know who was here, so I just, like did nothing like I was about to have a baby so I like kind of nested sure, <laughs> and, then, like, <laughs> and then I had the baby and then I, I did you know I was being a mom and then I stumbled across River City through a friend and started teaching there and got this law this job at this law firm and I absolutely hate it can't oh, sit no. still. <laughs> I just I'm just not a sitter yeah I'm not like I said I best type of person that's not yeah. legit Sure. And then when I got laid off from that, I was like, well, you can try to do the quote unquote right thing, have a job, you know, with benefits and insurance and bring it a check for, you know, your family, or you can wait six months stock up on your hours and still get a check and maybe have to pay for outside insurance, but still, you know, like doing it to support your family, but doing what you want, what you love to support. Right. I, I waited the six months. I waited the six months and I was able to like beef up my teaching hours and teaching like 30, 40 hours a week. It was between three studios and Henrico, constantly on the go. Yeah, um, you were doing the hustle. <laughs> yeah, I was doing the hustle. <laughs> and then eventually um, when, I don't know what happened, but the owner of River City Prior was like, we're closing at the end of the month. Wow. And I was like, closing for what? Thanksgiving? She's like, no, like for real. And then the next day she was like, you wanna buy it? Let me, you have to let me know in two weeks. Oh my God. So I took the bite and I said, yeah, which I didn't really know what I was saying yet to. But, <laughs> um, I feel yeah. like that happens to a lot of us who get, who start this uh, dance studio owner journey is like, yes, I yes. am doing this thing. What is the thing? I have no idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's how I ended up owning a studio. 
And you've transformed your studio like incredibly. It is, I mean, you started with how many students? I started with 21 students. 21 dancers. And now you're at? Well, before COVID. Before COVID. <laughs> um, Pre-corona. Pre-corona, I was at, 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 I'm trying to remember, I was like 97. That's great. Yeah. And I feel like you've got a really good model of what a boutique studio looks like. I'm trying to get there. It's like all about refinement, but yeah, yeah. It's really trying to understand that what is your market and what do you have? Right. Um, when I came to owning a studio, I didn't realize that I would encounter a lot of the challenges. Like no one would give me a loan. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get a loan for nothing. Like right. I started it with $3,000. But yeah, I couldn't get a loan and then I couldn't get a building. Wow. That was that was a struggle trying to get a building because they were like, well, you don't have any, like you've never owned a business before. Like they, no one, like they were any, like, well, you don't have any credit history. You don't have, yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So when I finally got my actual storefront, um, I was like, well, we're just going to have to, like, I was running a little martial arts place. Um, I was like, we're going to have to just do the best that we can with what we have. And I really thought that I could run my studio like a lot of other people run their studio. And that's really just not true. I had to really think about what I have. Like, I don't have, like, four shows with, like, right, yeah. Like, what am I working with and making the best from that instead of trying to compare myself to what other people are working with? Mm-hmm. They have a different bankroll than you. They have different, like, resources right. and assets than you. Like, you cannot do that. Like, you have to focus on what you have. Yeah, that, com- that comparison will kill you as a, as a business owner. And I, I feel like especially as a business owner in the arts, mm-hmm. like, when you're constantly comparing yourself to what other owners, other studios are doing, what other dancers are doing, what other, you know, what other business models look like, what other spaces look like, like that'll just completely destroy you. Absolutely. And it's so hard not to do that. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Cause I just really couldn't figure out, I'm like so-and-so down the street, who's like two miles away. It's so-and-so there. And they have so, they have hundreds of students. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I cannot get past this number. Like, why do I not? have students and it really didn't start coming until I started to market in a way that made sense for my business and then I started to attract the the people that I wanted to do business with right and then once you figure out what that is you find the right kind of customer because Mm -hmm. wouldn't you rather have 90 customers that are like the perfect fit for your business than like 120 with like half of them being a bunch of aren't on board with your vision. Right. And that's when people complain or do certain things. And I just let it go because I'm not mad about it. It's just that if you're going to present yourself as more of a headache, I don't need you. Anything. I don't need it. I don't need it. So save me my Tylenol. I'm gonna. <laughs> what do you feel like was that shift in your marketing and your branding? Like, how did you? What kind of messages were you sending out there that really made the difference? Um, I really like to talk about things that I want to instill. Mm-hmm. 
and like one season we use um we want to see you thrive or let's see you thrive something like that and i feel like when i have those phrases mm-hmm. the students become that word like that name word so like thrive became was that word and i felt like by the end of the season they were thriving yeah and i um you know develop connections to develop marketing materials to make sure that i got photos of kids that are actually in my studio right yeah and they they look different they're all different types of shapes and sizes and colors yeah they all have that smile of just like pure joy making it very relatable i feel like sometimes when you look at a dance ad it's something that you cannot relate to right it's a beautiful technique and it's perfect form that's not what's going to grab the attention of a parent right or you know you see a a kid that looks you know like your kid Mm -hmm. in that marketing material so now you're gravitated to you because my clients when i thought about this like i was doing chantelle's um studio expansion program and she was just like be really specific about the people your ideal student your ideal parent and i thought that that was very important because you know you have a studio and what your parents might go for or really like about your studio is something that you might just exude you already have your own client base and then when your little small group of people that have like you know, your family, you know, they start making those connections and right. then you start getting more people like that. Yeah. I feel like um, when we get together and when there's recitals and things, people just, everyone just know each other. I will say that since working with you and your studio, Ami and I um, have done like a work swap together where we will volunteer at each other's recitals or volunteer at each other's picture days or something like that, mm-hmm. which has been awesome. But in, in working on those, in those kinds of events, it's impossible not to notice how, yes, the kids are all are like happy together and relating and a community, but the parents are. Like the parents seem to genuinely enjoy each other's company, but also like be so committed to your vision and being on your team. And it's really, right. it's really impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Because I openly talk about it. I was like, you brought your child for me to, for a reason. If right. you knew how to teach dance and choreograph dances, by all means, do it. But right. don't sit here and bring me your child and your check and want me to teach them to dance and you don't allow me to do it. Right. And that's like within my handbook. Um, it says, it's like not in a blunt way. It says it's so much nicer um, about, <laughs> you know, side coaching. Like, you know, you trusted us with your child so allow us to you know guide your vision or whatever you know what I mean but um yeah they get that they understand that and if a parent kind of steps out of line it's funny because you watch the other parents go no no come over here <laughs> come over come over here hi you're good what's your name oh my god I love that it's very it's funny they you know they really they bring the new ones in. Yeah, they ring them in. And I tell them all the time, like, you don't want this job. There's so many things that go on in this head. You don't want to see what it looks like. Right. Just sit back and relax and enjoy yeah. not having to think of, like, how 12 different people are going to move simultaneously in different directions. Let's just right. let it go. 
Yes. You don't want yes. this job. Oh my God, you I love that. It. You don't want sure this you- job, so don't tell me how to do it. <laughs> exactly. I'm pretty sure you've got a bunch of other jobs to do. Right. Do You're busy enough. Don't try to take over my job. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, you're right. I'm going to go to the grocery store. See ya. <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. Tell us about the the demographics of your studio and what like what does your student population look like? So 80% of my students are of the European descent. <laughs> I don't really like to call people white versus black because, you know, you're, it's about where you're geographically. Sure. Uh-huh. And then about, I would say about the rest of it, it's about the rest of 20% is African-American. Mm-hmm. I don't have some, maybe like, I would say 18 like 18% about African-American, about 2% are like Asian, some type of like Asian descent. Um, but most, most of my clients, and this is the, like this 18% is the largest that I've ever had. Really? Yeah. The majority has always been of European descent and I don't know why. I would like it to be a little bit more diverse, but like I have like my entire staff we're all African-American. That's, I feel like that's kind of cool. Um, that is cool. And having a studio in Bon Air where there are, there's one other black owned business in the area. So I, I was like, that's, that's nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I've always wanted, you know, just more diversity. So much so far as the students, but um, I was just like, you know, it doesn't really matter. Right. As long as they're here, um, you know, the staff is bringing that type of diversity. So as long as that's happening, it, it is happening. Right. But it, it grows every single year. And this season was like the most, which I was super happy about. Just having that, that growth of diversity within the studio. Is, I was just like, I love it. Y'all are so all cute together. rainbows. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do. I love it when they're just like, there's just like so many colors. Right. Yeah. In the studio, and it's not just the colors on my walls, it's (laughs) the bodies of my students. I love that. Um, And it's just very meaningful because I realize it's a lot to do what I'm doing where I'm doing it as a female running a small business of the arts, Mm -hmm. and I'm black. Like all of those spectrums right but yeah people will come in and be like i'll talk to them on the phone and i'll give them instructions and then they'll see me in person and they'll be like oh i spoke to you Mm. and i'll be like uh yeah that that would be me and there would be like a complete shift of energy and then it'll be like okay well we'll get back to you okay wow yeah. And, and then do they actually get back to you? No. no. And has that happened a lot? That's happened quite frequently. And it's not like, it's no, there's nothing hiding like that I'm black. It says it on the website, if you will. Right. Like, yeah, like, look on the website. It says it. Like, click the About Us page. There's a picture. <laughs> there's a picture. There's lots um, of pictures. <laughs> but often, not so much this season, but in the past, I've gotten calls where they're like, oh, that sounds great. That's wonderful. Like, when can we come in to register? And I'll give them their registration time. And then they're super surprised and slows up. Well, now you have to talk to your husband. 
Mm. Well, you thought you would have done that prior to coming up in here. Right. Um, now we have to look at the schedules. Well, you would have done that before you came up here to register. Like, there are, like all of the things that you would do before you enroll your child into an activity. Right. Now you have to do them now. Right. Now that they've seen you. Yes. Yeah. So. That's so disappointing. What? Yeah, it's so disappointing because it's just, there's really nothing I could do about it. Yeah, no. There's nothing I could do about it. And when it's something that you divulge and spend so much time and effort and work in, mm -hmm. you feel like when it comes to your business, if something goes wrong, there's something that you can do about it. Right. But oh, that's this not. Is, this is what the issue is. I can fix this. I can make this better. We're always right. like as business owners, we're always trying to be better. Right. You can't. You can't fix that. I can't. I, there's nothing I can do to, to well, change. Well, that. first of all, like it's not. There's nothing wrong with it. You're not broken. Nothing's wrong. Yeah. There's nothing to be fixed about it. They need but, like. <laughs> like, but there's nothing I can do. Yeah. About that. So. But then I go, I let it go, and I said, if that is how somebody's going to react or think, that's not a client that you want to work with. Right. It's sad that, it's sad and disappointing that people out there have that reaction, but if they're going to have the reaction, better for them to have it and then go, then have it and stay and be a problem. Right, right, right. So it's, it's a good to know in the beginning <laughs> I'm like in the beginning so I um yeah that is a frustration I've gotten a similar reaction because of my age when I first opened but I always knew I will get older this will ha this will stop happening eventually <laughs> yeah yeah and like but you will never stop being black <laughs> no no that, that is not the case so aside from your experiences in the in the ballet company growing up and then what you just described as a, as a business owner have you had any other experiences with racism in the dance industry either as a student or as a teacher or as a as a business owner so i've had some experiences with racism outside of dance or like kind of like segue through dance this is it was really hard for me to realize this because I did the thing about this is just like certain things you just kind of accept you don't really realize it until you look back on it mm. uh, I was housed when I was dancing um, in DC I was housed with an older woman mm -hmm. and she told me that she was going to dinner this is where the key is let yourself in um, I'll see you when I get back I've never met this woman before I don't know who she is. I just this know is like that someone I'm, that the dance company put you up with, right? Okay, and that I was and I was supposed to be there for like three nights, four days. Mm -hmm. And I went upstairs and I did what I did, like checked in with my child, checked in the studio, showered or whatever. Heard her come in, and I was calling for her, and I was coming down to greet her. And she knew I was there. I already told her that I was there. Mm -hmm. But when I came to the top of the steps to greet her, she was shocked. Like, mouth dropped. Really? Eyes wide shot. And I was like, why are you shocked? You knew I was here. I told you I was here. You told me to let myself in. You volunteered to have someone stay in your home. Right. Why are you shocked? 
So I went down to greet her and everything, and she was showing me where things were in the kitchen, and all of her movement was very agitated-like. And then she was asking me about what I do, and if I was a mom, and who was keeping my kid, and I don't know why you're asking who's keeping my kid, but okay, whatever. And the thing was, I was staying upstairs in a room with two twin-size beds. I'm a whole adult. I haven't slept in a twin-size bed a very long time. She had a second room that had a king-size bed that I asked to switch. And she was mm -hmm. like, no. No one's in there. So I tried it out, and I did not sleep at all that entire night. Yeah. I got picked up from the director. She asked me how my night was. I was like, it was horrible. I didn't sleep. Can does she mind allowing me to switch to the other room? And she was like, I'll ask her. And when she asked the woman, the woman said, absolutely not. She said, did she give a reason? She was like, it's too hard. I don't want to do it. And I was like, I'll change. I'll turn over the beds. You know, like you don't have to worry about it. She was like, no. So clearly you just don't want me to stay there. I'm sure that helped you feel very comfortable while you were staying there. <laughs> right. Like, you don't want me to stay there. And I asked the director, I said, did you ever tell her that I was black? And she was like, well, I, I didn't know. And she was like, do you think I should have told her? I was like, yeah. Wow. Because she was shocked to see me, like, as if there was no idea that I could be black. Or uh, newsflash. Black people exist. <laughs> exactly. We <laughs> exist too. Like, I just don't know why you would be surprised to see someone that you already know that is going to be there and that you've agreed wow. to allow them to stay there. I don't, I don't know. And my friend was like, you know, that was not necessarily a safe situation for you because what if she said you did something? Right, Exactly. And she was like, you're this random black woman in this white woman's house. And right. And if it's your word against hers and she's the homeowner, they're going to. Right. Like statistics is not on my side on that. Right. And I was just like, I actually thought about it and I got ended up getting really upset. Mm -hmm. because then it just made me start thinking about all of these things that are happening and I was fortunate enough to be able to like go ahead and exit out of that situation safely yeah but it could have been a lot worse it could have been a lot worse <sighs> it was frustrating to think about that in that way and just like while I was in it it was just like I am so uncomfortable yeah when I was just like at that moment, like I was just like, I'm just so, I don't know. I'm just so uncomfortable. Like I don't, I don't feel like I belong here. And be somewhere staying there for the full time, or did you relocate? No, they moved me to a hotel. Okay, good. Um, that was that was definitely like a learning experience for myself mm -hmm. because just of the, of different ways that I also have to think about of safe safe situations for myself and questions to ask before putting myself in certain positions because you never know right i think of those things we have to like think about cuz like people might be like oh i'm okay with black people but they don't want you know you don't want them in your home so that's really you're not really okay mm -hmm. because it has limitations right 
um, and things that you are really okay with don't have limitations. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, it's just really thinking about that. And, you know, like I know as a teacher when some of my students aren't, the only way I can think about it is, is exposed but aren't around enough people of different colors because mm-hmm. they'll come up and they'll rub my skin. Mm. And they'll just like look at it and rub, just rub my skin. How do you handle that? What are you saying that? And, and I, you know, I asked them about it. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, I'm rubbing your skin. It's so different. And I was like, it feels just like yours. There, yeah. Mm-hmm. It feels just like yours. And these are children. So they're just having a natural reaction because it's not somebody they might have seen a person of color out in the street, but I'm now their dance teacher. So now we have a, a different type of connection. We have a closer engagement right. interaction with each other. Yeah. They'll do that or they'll like, you know, the hair touching and I, I have locks, so my hair doesn't necessarily feel like everyone else's, but <laughs> sometimes I feel like a little bit of the touching art museum, mm. but it's also like a teaching moment. Yeah. And I'm like, it's no different than yours. Mm-hmm. Like, we just have, we both have skin. It feels the same. It's just like, we are so lucky that we have different colors of skin. Mm. And it's, it's a way to teach that from a different, a different side and yeah. through like a loving manner. Mm-hmm. Um, not so labored. Right. Like, I feel like right now, me and my daughter are just having labored, a lot of labored conversations that I'm trying to make more loving. Mm. But because um, it's coming from a different perspective of how do you explain to your child you don't have to do anything wrong you can be sleeping but something might happen where you may get killed in the process right and that's it yeah how do you explain that to a child how do you explain that to a child um, it's like you know what's right and you know what's wrong and the only thing you have to do is continue to be a good person Mm-hmm. And when you see someone doing bad, speak out on it and then continue to make the right decision. Yeah. And, and let's not go along with the get along, <laughs> you know, like always think for yourself. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the students, I just try to share with them all the different sides, like, there's love, there's positivity. Like there's so many things that I possess that is not about my color. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many things that you get from experience, having this experience for me and it has nothing to do with my color. Right. You're so much more than just that. I'm so much more. And then when the, you know, like I think about it, I'm like when people make those decisions of like when, you know, they come in the studio and, they ask their questions and they find out I'm the owner and then they leave and I hear back through other clients that know them, like mm. that they know them and they talk to them about all the wonderful things that their kids are doing at the studio. <laughs> and I'm like, you could have experienced that, but hatred stopped you. Yeah. So I, I'm like, you know, Hey, you're lost. 
when people see past the color or you know just don't see the color at all and it's just really about the experience they're really able to engage mm-hmm. and be a part and truly feel that vibe that environment that we have at river city which is so much deeper than color like right that is truly valuable yeah so it's like their life do you feel like as a black educator, it's part of your job to educate your students about these things? Um, yes, but not directly. Mm-hmm. I, by my actions though, this is one thing that I ever, never want my clients to say that this, that this black woman did not fulfill her promise mm-hmm. or those classes because what do they say, we're lazy? We, you know, we're thieves. We don't fulfill our promises. We don't, you know, whatever, whatever those stereotypes are. Right. I'm not any of those things. Right. So when it comes to my clients, I'm always put together. And this is not like full makeup or anything, but like (laughs) I'm always put together. I always speak politely. I always address people with manners, respect, that whole you are a good person a good citizen because mm-hmm. and they're watching i'll yeah. look over them and they're watching the entire way through and it's not anything that i have to go out and directly say but everything i do through my actions of how i interact and engage with people, conduct business. I'm always fair. They'll never be able to tell you I have a favorite. Mm-hmm. And that bothers and eats them up because <laughs> they want to be. <laughs> but I always follow through the, with the guidelines that I implement. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, you know, I have to do it. I'm very sorry, but you're benched for this, this show because you missed rehearsal. Like okay. those things, they can always say that I'm 100% fair. You're consistent. And consistent. Yeah. And And you work your ass off. Yes. I do that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I do that all the time. And I'm constantly going, going, going. I just don't want them to. And this is a little bit, I think, like a, just like a black woman thing. We always feel like we have to put on that armor. Mm -hmm. But, um, But within that armor that I put in, I'm always there to listen to their issues and their problems. And I'm always there to pick up the phone if they need it. Listening and me putting that armor also shows that there is a person that is, you know, that you can reference and be like, she's of color and she's never done any of those things Mm -hmm. that hatred spews about us. Right. Like she's never done any of that. So that's not true because I know somebody. Mm hmm that was always the most kind and fair and loving and inspiring to me. Right. And you're you're being that model, not just for the parents to see, but more importantly for the kids to see. Right. Because there are future, right? Like there are future lawyers and politicians and whatever else Mm -hmm. voters. Yes. And if, you know, if they're not in in the law and the politics world, there are at least our voters. Mm-hmm. So they're a part of our community. So it's very important that they know that. Yeah. Yeah. And I always tell them dance is just the tool. I'm not about making great dancers. I'm about making amazing human beings. So that's the important part. I don't care what you grow up to be, do in your life. Just make sure that you're a great human. So they get that. They understand. 
I hope so, but yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Going back to your experiences with the ballet company um, mm-hmm. when you were a teenager, what do you what do you wish would have happened there, or how how could have how could have that experience been better for you from like actions that the people in charge could have taken? I felt like it should have, I felt like people should have spoke up to be quite honest. Um, there was so much toxicity. Is that a word? Toxicity. I think. Yes. That word that you (laughs) articulated very greatly. (laughs) Um, in, in that, in that environment. Mm-hmm. There was so much on so many different levels. Yeah. And no one spoke up ever, like to this day, ever. Like when I even graduated from the Center for the Arts, growing up, going back to working for the Center for the Arts and watching kids audition, and I could tell where they went to school right off the bat. Mm. And those girls that went to that school looked extremely depressed. Huh not very happy at all and it's not just one like i sat through two days of auditions like all day multiple groups like you could tell where people went dance wow and that i could tell but where those girls danced because of their demeanor it wasn't confident they looked sad and so i was like it's still going on yeah like i knew that because i went there i knew what that was like Right. It wasn't anything hopeful. Did it teach me a lesson to like really work your ass off? Yeah. Right. It taught me that lesson, but I'm pretty sure I could have learned that lesson another way. Sure. I'm pretty sure. Even less painful. (laughs) Less painful. But I feel like they not, no one spoke up. No one. I danced, I've danced a full nutcracker season with mono. I've danced a full nutcracker season with a sprained toe on point. Because I was told if I didn't, I was getting pulled from the rest of the season. Wow. And mono's contagious. Yeah. never have <laughs> Like, super duper contagious. Right. I've done it with You're walking pneumonia. You've been at home in bed. <laughs> right. Like, I've done it with, like, walking pneumonia. Like, oh, my God. It is. It's not healthy. It's not. It's not healthy. But, and I don't even know why my, why they, but why my parents didn't let me do it? Like, why didn't you do it? <laughs> and they were like, well, you were so, you were so wanting to do it. Yeah, because I was scared. I don't want to lose my part. Yeah. But I felt like if other parents stepped up and was like, let that girl have the weekend off. Because our seasons were like two months long. It wasn't like it was only a week. Yeah, it wasn't like it was one show and then done. Right. It was like two months long, three shows a weekend. Wow. So it was intense. They, and if other parents would have stepped up and been like, let the girl have the week off, mm-hmm. like, let her get he- healthy. We all know, you and I know, when the clients start to like cave together, you're going to fold. Like, that's just going to what? Right. It's just going to happen. Yeah. So um, I wish, yeah, that's what I wish would have happened is that more people spoke up instead of just turning their head mm-hmm. and looking the other way. Right. It would have been more. It would have been helpful for all of the student, all of the dancers there. Yeah, like it probably would have been, would have made the environment better for everyone. I mean, for everyone. Because when when a parent advocates for a child, it teaches like that you matter and that right. 
deserve respect. And that's something right. that I feel like, especially teenage girls need to learn. Right. Absolutely. Instead of just being sad to be you or what you look like or your dancing ability, like this is supposed to be able, this is supposed to be your outlet where you're being free and joyful. And now okay. you're captive. You're a prisoner in your own outlet because you don't, you don't feel like you're enough. Yeah. And that's the exact opposite of what should be happening. Right. And I feel like a lot of times it's accepted that fear needs to be instilled to make great dancers. Mm. No, that's not the way. It you needs can be to kind and effective in your teaching. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, like some teachers going to be hard and then are vigorously yell, shout their five, six, seven, eight, but we all yell. There's music on. <laughs> well, and I feel like your studio is a real testament to that because anyone who's the, like, I've seen you teach at my studio and I've seen you teach at your own studio and it's like across the board, you're an amazing teacher, both technically and in the way that you are compassionate in your teaching, like you clearly teach about your and, and your kids are very talented and they obviously have good training. So like it can be done. <laughs> it, it, the thing is it can be done. I don't have to like belittle them. Right. To make it happen. Right. And that's just not acceptable. From a teacher's perspective, specifically what do white dance teachers need to know about teaching black children? Is that they are, they are very sensitive mm -hmm. and won't show it. Mm. Very prideful. Very, very prideful. Because that's just our nature. Our nature is not to show when we're down, when we're feeling something. Mm -hmm. That's nobody's business. That's right. our business. But to keeping, keeping your classes balanced, sharing, mm. sharing the history of where jazz is from and like hip hop and tap and like you know like what are your foundations sharing that history of like iconic people who actually make changes or maybe they might not be that big yet but they're on their way of mm -hmm. uh, you know continuing how that diversity and contributing you know to the dance world sharing that with your students but yeah a lot of pride I remember being super prideful growing up and not feeling like I was able to express it mm. and always wanting to like push, push, push because there's, there's an in, internal battle and struggle that happens inside of just wanting to do good and wanting to be great and, you know, wanting to be successful. And do you so, think it comes from the, that, that idea that like you have to be that much better so that. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be that much better. You have to be that much smarter. You have to be that much wiser. Like, because history has shown that you are not on a loving level playing field. So mm -hmm. you need to work even more so you can achieve just as much or half. Right. So that emotional barrier, having that and not letting anyone come through that mm -hmm. or break through that, 
that that is always there and that and i honestly i was just like i don't know where it came from it wasn't like i was taught for it to be there it's just like right it's it's just always been there i'm sure in some way it was some type of like inheritance but (laughs) do you see that in your own students that pride and that emotional barrier in your own black kids <laughs> like there is it's a stat it's it only goes so far yeah and, and then there's certain things that could be legitimately bothering them mm-hmm. and i gotta pull them aside and i'm like i'm really in tune and i pay very close attention to all of my students mm-hmm I'm like, okay, what's bothering you? Because I can tell. Like, right. they think they're hiding it, but they're not that great at that. They're not that good at it. <laughs> they're not that good at it. So I'm like, like, you're seven. You're not an Emmy award-winning actress. <laughs> yeah. I, but when they're younger like that, it's a little bit easier. They're right. fine. Yeah. But it's like my teens. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's going on? Like, and then they do that, like, tug and pull. I'm like, well, you know you gonna tell me or we're gonna have to like do this like tug of war thing that you're gonna tell me but you really should tell somebody because you just need to let it go so we can (laughs) right yeah so so they eventually start talking about what's bothering them Mm -hmm. and I say like doesn't that feel good to let that out Mm -hmm. and being like a very like accepted of like it is okay to express which right. is something that I struggle with as well mm-hmm. because I feel that I cannot express if it's be- not from being a, t- a teacher, it's because I'm a director or because I'm a mom or because of whatever I have going on through my entire day, I need to keep it together. Mm-hmm. And then when everyone goes to sleep and tucked in and whatever, now you can be yourself and now you can let this whatever go. Right. There's not a lot of places to do that. So being in a place of comfort where you're allowing an outlet to let go and just be yourself and just share what you have, what you're feeling, mm-hmm. let it out. That is, I think that's of a valuable thing. Yeah. Not like saying everybody needs it, but like when you see, like you're around our students enough mm-hmm. to see when something's going on. Right. What are some things that we can do as, as educators or as, you know, studio directors and owners to create that safe space? Talk it like just keeping open communication. I like try to also share some experiences of like, I was like, you know, I was having a really bad day the other day. So I just came in here and I just turned to the music and I just, you know, just talk about yourself mm-hmm. a little bit because you can give scenarios about other people, but I feel like when kids hear about something that you personally went through, right, it makes it more real, right? Because it is; it's from your perspective, your story, and then you're showing that vulnerability to them, right? And that's showing that oh, so and so opened up to me and shared this story about their life with me today. Like that was cool. Like she didn't have to share that. Like right. I don't know, you know, like, it's so a when you're vulnerable, it allows other people to be vulnerable. So what are some things that 
um, particularly white studio owners and teachers can do to make our studios and our dance families more welcoming and inclusive for um, for students of color and specifically for black families. Stop putting y'all students in that suntan tights. <laughs> you know, Walmart got all different types of spray paint. We could spray paint those jazz shoes, all different types of colors. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's one of the, I used to have to wear that color when I was a kid. I didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. But, they, you know, the tights come in varieties of different colors nowadays. So we don't have to have all the kids in the same color tights. Yeah. Um, always transparent in your communication. Always being inclusive. Just knowing when it comes to your students and, you know, like if it's dressing them, just making sure that it always flatters all of your students' bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, black or brown or white or, you know, tan or beige. I don't care what color you are. Everyone needs to be flattered. Mm-hmm. Um, having, sharing that history, acknowledging those faces within your studio. Like, there, there's a part, a wall in our studio where I have, like, different, well, throughout the studio, there's, like, photos of a variety of different people, whether they're Asian people, Black people, brown people, white people, like, people who have made a change. And I always wanted to make sure that it includes a variety of different colors. There's something that happens that, is really inspiring and it's just amazing is just having that ability to look up at somebody and see someone that looks just like you being great and doing great things is so inspirational yeah it really is inspirational yeah representation is so important right so having those resources within your studio would do a lot for the, your students if you may if you have a studio where you consistently maintain that all the way through and being transparent with your communication showing that reput- representation and teaching the history of you know dance and just sharing about all the different types of people like that's a wonderful start yeah and then I feel like the rest of it is going to start to like follow being mm-hmm. showing that that openness to being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Everything else is going to follow of just being open to have conversations. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because I feel like a lot of the issue is that people don't talk. Right. Everyone wants to hide about it. And no, let's let's have a conversation. <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily always have to, you know, like it might not be about race, but like just being vulnerable enough to have a conversation about what you're feeling. Right. Are you having any conversations about race or about like what's going on right now in the world with any of your students, like your teens or anything like that right now? No. Um, I've had some parents reach out to me and I don't know from I live this life, so I just don't feel like I really got much to say so far as, like, fighting for it, because I'm always fighting for it. Right. It's time for somebody else that don't look like me to also fight for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I haven't really said much about that. Uh, 
you know, I've had people reach out to me and I've just always been like more so of a listening ear Mm -hmm. because that's what I really feel like they need Mm -hmm. from me. Someone to talk about this with With. that is of color, you know? What What are people, what are the parents saying when they're reaching out to you? Um, just trying to develop resources to be able to explain this and share this information with their children. Oh, interesting. Having um, the conversation, trying to understand certain perspectives. Like one client was like, every time I was with the police, I've never felt scared. I'm always protected. And I was like, well, you know, they're not going around killing a bunch of white women. Right. <laughs> like, they're just not. So... I was like, I don't have, I really don't have that. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't share that with you because my experience has been very different. Right. That's been most of the conversations about ways to share it with their children. So I provide like little links to like books and things like that to help Mm -hmm. explain. Generally, they're having a different conversation than I'm having with my child. Right. That's a completely different type of conversation. Right. And just like letting them know, like, you're not going to understand this in one night. Like, this is hundreds and hundreds of years of history built within the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Like, it's built within our laws. Like, this is a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. That needs to be unpacked, undone, changed. There's no way you're going to get it in one sitting. Right. It has to be an ongoing conversation. It has to be an ongoing conversation. And listen, and then think about the ways, you know, how would have you reacted differently in certain scenarios in your past life? Or, you know, just kind of like understanding where, you know, if you had made some judgments that you didn't even realize that, you know, why did I make that judgment? Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't because I knew that person. It was based off of what they were looking like. And that's not, you know, we have to realize that. Right. So, um, I've just been more so a person that is listening to them, mm-hmm. trying to, like, just talk through their don't un- the things they don't understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that says a lot right there that they're that these white parents at your studio are coming to you with these questions and these conversations. Like, obviously, they trust and respect you a lot. Yeah, I would say that. I appreciate that. I didn't look into that that way. Does it feel like? Does it feel? Does it just feel like a part of? Like you didn't sign up for this. Like, you didn't sign up to be the one black person in their life that explains things to them? I don't feel like it, it, I don't feel like it, like that either. I just, I was like, you know, just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and if so be um, one black person, well, at least you know a good one, you know? Like, <laughs> like right. well, I just talk about, I'm just there, and I feel like, honestly, it's not that, like, this is not my job. I don't have to put up with this. I do feel like if someone needs to be heard, it is my job to listen. Because mm-hmm. that's what I want them to do for me, right? Yeah. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Mm-hmm. And you teach people how to treat you. Right. So if I'm going to sit here and I want you to listen to me on my gripe, my strife, my struggle on any other given day, I'm going to take five minutes to listen to you for you to have find a better understanding so this conversation can continue. 
Right. So, yeah. I don't feel like it is a chore. That's good. Yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, white people are hesitant to have these conversations, especially with black people, because we don't want to either say the wrong thing or burden them or, you know, just like overstep or be out of place. Right. But like, and it's, it's kind of a touchy subject. It's a touchy subject. Oh, it's yeah, like, I don't know so. what to say. Am I being wrong? Is it being mm-hmm. like, what do I say? Like, but it's just having the conversation and just listening. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole issue is that people have been too scared to talk about it. That's right. been the whole issue. So let's get over that fear. Right. I think Keisha said this in our, in our last episode, but she said, you know, like we have to have these conversations and if you approach it, if you a- approach the conversation by saying, I don't quite know how to have this conversation, but I want to have it. <laughs> Like, that's a good start, and that at least shows good intentions, you know? Right, right, right. But, yeah, we have to get over the uncomfortable fear. Yeah. Because this is all uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, like, there's nothing about this that is going to be comfortable. So just accept that you're going to be uncomfortable with this conversation, and not everything might not be said correctly, Mm -hmm. but at least the conversation is being had, because even if you don't say something correctly someone will stop you to let you know that that is not in the appropriate text manner right and then it's your and then it's your job to take that feedback and say oh i'm so sorry thank you apply it and then apply it yeah and learn from that experience so that's the whole um that's why the conversation needs to be had because when it came what i've always been told when you get uncomfortable you don't sit around you move mm. it makes progression right so I, and I was like you know you always I always think about once I get com- too comfortable that's not a good place I'm getting you know like you're getting complacent like no you need to get uncomfortable so you can make more progression move forward yeah. so I've learned to try to embrace that yeah. So I think others should too. Yeah, definitely. And mm-hmm. that's like a lot of why I wanted to have these conversations on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's, it's just, it's a way to have a, a uncomfortable conversation without it feeling <laughs> as uncomfortable as we think it might be. Exactly. Well, Ami, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. It's been so Absolutely. Fun to talk to you. Um, before we go, we like to finish each episode by sharing something that has made our heart happy in the last week or so. So what's made your heart happy? Oh, I will tell you this. This is a little thing. I appreciate the little thing. So two weeks ago, I planted some linen seeds. I finally got a little linen sprout. Yay! <laughs> that is so exciting. Excited. I, I was love that. Sad. I thought it would it die, but it didn't. Yay! Right. Congratulations, you've got a little plant baby. I got a little plant baby. <laughs> what about you? Um, let's see. Well, I've been like very um, stagnant over the last several weeks, and like not moving. Um, mm-hmm. And yesterday, I 
went for a run and it kind of sucked, <laughs> but I did it. That's good. And I felt better after it was over. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to get a little exercise. Yes. Those endorphins are key. Yeah. Just get a little exercise and then your day is better. So true. Yes. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It was so good to talk to you. I miss you. I miss you too. I can't wait until this is over and we can go have coffee. Yes. Or a drink. Or a drink. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But thank you so much for having me. I appreciate thank you it. so much for being on and for sharing. It really means a lot to me. Yes, you're welcome. All right. Well, have a good one. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. As of the published day of this episode, we are officially two weeks out from the GSO Connect virtual retreat, July 14th through 16th. If you haven't registered yet, what are you waiting for? Jump on our website, dancestudioownerconnect.com and click on the retreat tab for more information about the three different package tiers and to sign up. We are also super excited that our membership has relaunched. We are accepting registrations for our monthly membership starting July 1st and it closes August 30th. So make sure you don't miss this opportunity. Each month will feature amazing content, including a featured webinar, social media content, and so much more. You can find out more and sign up for our monthly membership on our website, dancestudioownerconnect.com and click on the membership tab. 